0: So here we are in a system not designed for women, not designed for millennials, not designed for inclusion, a system that is finally changing. Let's get familiar. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about womanhood. I'm Leslie Gray, bringing you passionate, informed guests to talk about millennial women building wealth, power, and influence in our modern era. The future for women and wealth is brighter than ever welcome to love and dividends how's everyone doing staying fit and in shape during this pandemic it is something that i've heard come up a lot home workouts are the new thing People are really trying to find a way to transition their regular workouts to home. And I am no exception. In the first episode I mentioned, I am an Aries. Aries is the athlete of the Zodiac. I am not claiming to be a great athlete, although I was a competitive synchronized swimmer and varsity synchronized swimmer in my youth. So workouts have always been really important to me. And this lockdown has really changed the accessibility of them and, in many ways, made it more difficult. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. I think for some people, you know, certainly for my brother, he's working out more than he ever has before. And then my youngest brother is missing a lot of his athletic activities, team sports. The middle one would say the two of us are much more competitive. We probably liked more organized sports, the middle one's definitely less competitive, but also very athletic. The reason I bring up my brothers and the gray kids in general is we are three Aries. Yes. Imagine being the parents to three Aries children. I will give you an example of what this vibe felt like. As a family, we are very into the franchise star Wars. We grew up watching the original and what I still think of as the only ones that matter episodes four through six. So when they became digitally remastered, they went back into theater. We all saw them in theater. Some of my childhood friends are like, yes, I went with your family to Star Wars. Like, that's what you were doing. So that's what we all were doing. We saw one through three, which I don't even want to talk about. And more recently, we've gone to all the new ones as adults. But this is the vibe of three Aries children, now grown adults, in a movie theater. Back in the day, I would go and get us, like, popcorn. Maybe I'd go to get something. And when I would come back in the theater, this is a prank my brothers would pull. Picture this. I'm walking into the front. This is the kind of movie theater where the entrance is like where the screen is. And then the theater goes up behind it. Yes, you're with me. You're visualizing. Great. They're sitting, you know, mid-row, prime spots. The Greys get there early. We need the good spots for Star Wars. And my, specifically my middle brother would yell, Les! Les! He'd like put his hand up and yell. You might think everyone would turn and stare at him and be like, sir, please don't yell at this nice woman who's clearly got you popcorn and knows where you're sitting. Oh, no. The whole theater gets a vibe of like tension and stress and is looking at me like, um, I'm sorry, Les, is it? Uh, I think, I think the people you're sitting with, uh, they're just up there. He would not stop this, but the entire walk up the stairs to their seats. He's like, uh, Les, we're over here. We're here. Again, the whole theater is not being like, sir, please stop. This woman knows where she's going. The whole theater is looking at me like, oh, come on, Les. It's very obvious where your group is. Les, um, did you, are you, I, I, think this, I think they're yelling at you. Everyone's like sort of weirdly trying to help you out, which is lovely, but very annoying. He would pull this same stunt at restaurants, and if I didn't find it so funny, I'd be very annoyed. So that's the vibe of three Aries children. And that is an example of why workouts are so important to this type of energy. You need a way to release it. So being someone who's so into fitness, being someone who'd always done it, I at first thought lockdown would be fine. Because I thought, well, I'll have maybe more time to go for a run. I'm just going to get so into these at-home classes. And I mentioned one in season one that I found that I adored. It was The Class by Taryn Toomey. But what I also found was it was just so hard or, I don't know, I just wasn't motivated to show up. A book that I think explains this is by Gretchen Rubin, Four Tendencies. She's also the author of The Happiness Project and, and actually many other books. And she opens the Four Tendencies and the reason she did that work with a friend of hers saying, you know, I used to work out all the time, I was a cross-country runner. I also do cross-country in junior high, not to brag. But now I just can't, as an adult. I I can't seem to get motivated. Even though I know I love working out, I know I feel good. And they brought up a variety of reasons we do things and don't do things in motivation. And it really resonated with me. And I realized, you know, the reason I found working out so, maybe not so easy, but the reason I had a really good system in place, partly was because I loved my gym. It's a fancy gym. I'm not going to lie. I probably would not have joined it on my own accord. It is expensive, except that where I was working provided a subsidy. And one of my colleagues was a member. She loved it. We started going together. She was a great motivator. I bring up the benefit from the employer because you'll hear us talk about that on the episode, how a lot of people don't use the benefits financial or otherwise, and, and money for a gym is, is certainly a benefit of employment, either because they think, well, someone else deserves it more, or, oh, I don't want to take advantage. But I just want to remind everyone, this little PSA, that those benefits are things your employer calculates as part of your compensation to so make sure you sign up. I wish I'd signed up sooner. I ended up falling in love with this gym, and it's what kept me motivated to go, One was the community and the friendships, I'm missing that a lot. But two was the trainers. I bring that up because our guest today is named Tracy Bissett. She is the chief financial fitness trainer and president of Bissett Financial. She was a former executive at TD Bank before she started this. And now she uses this metaphor of getting in shape, towards finances, getting financially in shape. That's why she calls herself a trainer. I miss the training and the group classes because there's a lot of benefit of someone being there to do two things. One, to remind you that you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Tracy says this about money, it's so true. And the gym metaphor works perfectly. I know when I first started showing up at some of the classes, If I'd compared myself to people who've been doing them for a long time, I would have been like, oh, I shouldn't even be here. These men and women are so fit, how can I keep up? But the trainers are great, they're like, that's okay, just show up, just do your thing. You can do some moves and not others. You'll know me as the one who walked in with a venti coffee at 7 a.m. Admittedly, that was a bit of a faux pas. People do not really appreciate drinking coffee during workouts. Do you do this? I do this, I don't know a lot of other people do. I think the caffeine's very helpful. It also looks just a smidge obnoxious. I, I admit that, walking in with a large coffee cup and my water bottle, but that was me. And why I bring it up is because I couldn't always do all the moves in that class, but and my friend who went with me attests to this, we would show up. Just showing up two or three times a week, doing as much as we could, was so helpful. And that's what I think is important for finances the most important thing is that you just show up, that you just keep putting the money in when you can. The second step in another class I loved was a weightlifting class. This is just the perfect metaphor for women investing, because a lot of women would stick to somewhere between two to five pounds. They wouldn't want to lift any more than that. They'd be like, weights aren't really for me. I, I'm just going to do what I do. And that to me is similar to using like a high interest savings account. Like I'm good at saving. I'll come and work out, but I don't want to lift more than this. There was a great trainer in one of the classes I loved and he would come over and be like, nah, you need to start lifting 10. You need to start lifting 15. You need to start lifting 20. And the women who'd been going to his class for a while and the men too would get comfortable lifting heavier and heavier weights. And to me, that's the perfect metaphor for investing. Hey, you've been at this a while. You're strong enough. You can start doing these more seemingly risky things. On the flip side, they wouldn't let you do them until you're ready. Otherwise, you'll get injured. So I love the idea of starting small, of continuing to build up, and of just showing up consistently being the biggest factor, getting both fit and financially fit. Tracy, has her own podcast the young money podcast so she is always sharing training tips she's a professor at centennial college she is from the east coast of canada which is just honestly the nicest people are from there hate to stereotype i'm a toronto girl born and raised but east coast canada is really something special we had a lot of fun on our chat everything she said really resonated with me i hope it will be the motivation you need to get your finances in shape to start showing up for yourself. Remembering that the work you do is for you, even if it's paying debt, even if it's paying someone else. And for me, if your finances are in good shape, get yourself in good shape. Be reminded of how important workouts are moving your body, staying in flow, feeling good, It's really hard to be motivated on a rainy April day, but I'm sending that positive energy to you wherever you are. Let's get fit together. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much uh, for joining me on Love and Dividends. Thank you so much, Leslie. I'm excited to be here. So Tracy, you are the chief financial fitness offer at Bissett Financial so tell us a bit more about this Financial, who it's intended for and why you started it. Uh, so I was a banker for many, many
1: years at TD Bank in the areas of commercial lending and risk management. Like what happens sometimes in big organizations, there was a restructuring. And so my, my role was eliminated. So I took the opportunity instead of jumping into another role to think about what are all the things I like to do? And maybe I can build that for myself. And so I did. I used to love creating courses and facilitating training at TD. Uh, I loved working with business owners and entrepreneurs. And I've always been passionate about helping people learn about money. And I've done a lot of that in my volunteer time over the years. So I packaged all that up together. So I am the chief financial fitness trainer at Visit Financial. So we work with young adults, primarily through um, the Young Money podcast, sharing information and things like that as well as we've got a young money planner coming out this year and most of my time is spent on entrepreneurs doing group programs or one-on-one coaching and those are entrepreneurs with really sales between uh, 100,000 and 2 million who are really looking to up their financial acumen and get the lingo and understand their financial statements and the cash flow all that kind of stuff and then cuz i'm not busy enough i'm a professor at centennial college <laughs> in their business school i get to spend time with my my young adults uh, regularly, which is really fun.
0: And just out of curiosity, how would you define young adults? I define them as 18 to 30-ish,
1: and I know that there's a big audience who love them or love that age group who tune into. So we were getting the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, uncles, uh, but we're also getting those young adults 18 to 30-ish.
0: And is the focus on young adults because that's when a lot of the entrepreneurs age? Or is it because you think that generation has sort of either a different view of wealth or different financial challenges than perhaps previous ones?
1: There's a need for financial education at all ages. And so I would love to see it start from when you're very, very young. But because I am also a business owner, I target an age group where people will actually pay for information and products and services so that's why i chose that age but that's also the age where you're making a lot of big life decisions you might be getting into post-secondary you might be coming out you've got that student debt you're thinking about getting a car you maybe want to do a second degree you want to get a house all that stuff keeps coming and you, the school systems have done a really poor job of teaching you. Uh, they tend to look to the parents and then the poor parents have not had any education themselves. So most families are not having these kinds of discussions. So a podcast particularly is really an outlet to learn anything you might need to know about money. And my topics really range. Um, I can make anything fit. So I love music. So I, I even tie in stories, yeah. but what we can lose for, learn from musical artists, some of the Super Bowl halftime shows. I was
0: like- going to say, I heard your latest one. I love that tie. (laughs) You've done that every year, I think on the podcast.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've got some about Maroon 5, Taylor Swift, uh, Justin Timberlake, (laughs) Lady Gaga, Rihanna. Um, We can learn about money from everything. And if we can make it fun and interesting, I'm not expecting people are going to become experts overnight, but if you can learn one
0: thing new today, you're going to be better off. I'm so here for that. And don't you think it's interesting? I know you went to Queens for commerce, which was your undergrad. I went to Queens for engineering. So we are natural enemies, but we can be friends, (laughs) I guess, but both are degrees that are supposed to be very functional. You know, I took project management, you took business, but don't you think there was a financial component missing? I never felt, and I took a number of business courses and I never really felt they taught me the practical stuff that you cover in your podcast and presumably in your course.
1: No, certainly not. They cover more of the running of a business, not how do you manage your, your money for your life. They do talk about cash flow forecasting and stuff like that, but it's all from the business lens. At Centennial, where I teach, I'm in the business school and we're teaching students to become financial planners. So they're learning about how to serve others in that capacity. So I hope some of that's sinking in as well because they don't do a lot necessarily of their own reflection and their own personal financial activities or exercises, but I think it, it makes its way in as well.
0: On that note, what would you say it is to be financially fit and what does it mean also to be a millionaire? I know I understand what the number a million is and what it is to own a million dollars, but I know you've talked before about sort of millionaire versus multimillionaire. And I know one of your slogans is making future millionaires, which I love. Do you want to talk about those two sort of financial fitness and being a millionaire? So I talk about financial fitness. I like to come from the positive. If we're talking about financial
1: literacy, we're already starting from a negative place. And so people are defensive. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. So I want it to be positive and everybody knows something, but if you think about it, just like a physical fitness journey, we could be taking our first step off the couch to walk around the block, or we could be training to run a marathon. The same happens in our financial life. We could be just learning about different bank accounts Or we could be learning to be a more sophisticated investor. So we're on a spectrum. Everybody's starting somewhere different. uh, And that's okay. Start where you are and and don't try to leapfrog or compare yourself to others. For me, being financially fit, it's having the ability to ask questions. You're not going to know all the answers. I don't know all the answers. Uh, So getting comfortable with that, but knowing that you have some knowledge to start asking questions, you know where to go to get help you're living within your means so you've got a plan together to accomplish the goals that you want to set in your life and again those are very individual and just because your friend has certain goals doesn't mean those need to be yours as well figure out what's important to you and then if you need a professional to help you work with a financial advisor or financial planner to help you get the path to to go on those goals that's financially fit for me and millionaire um kind of tongue in cheek, the name of the show, um, because I'm not expecting necessarily people are following every lesson, but if they do, they've got a greater chance of success, but it's about putting those good habits and those good routines. And for me though, millionaire is calculated based on net worth. So how much do I have in assets? How much do I have in liabilities? And when I subtract my liabilities from my assets, is it higher than a million? That's my, my millionaire calculation. And so assets are... Stocks, investments, a home, uh, a car, anything that has value, and then the liabilities are anything that you have to pay to somebody else. Student loans, credit cards, yeah, payday
0: loans, car loans, anything, yeah. So first of all, you mentioned sort of shame and how everyone comes in knowing something, but some people are really embarrassed by sort of their starting point. Do you want to elaborate on that and and sort of what you've seen? Personally, I think that's the biggest block. I've seen it more, even just in professionals, in lawyers, in engineers who are all very bright and think they should know and then almost don't talk about it because I think there is such an embarrassment of not knowing. So we form our views about money when we're
1: very, very young. So between like five and seven years old, we've got, we're really cementing that knowledge that we have. And if you come from a a home where there wasn't enough. Maybe there was tears. Maybe there was anxiety. Maybe there was yelling. Who knows? You could have had collection calls all over the place or could have been in a home like mine where we talked about money stuff all the time. And uh, my dad was a banker and we were very open about it. I would see my mom reconciling like the checkbook every month. I would see her making a grocery list because we only had so much money to spend on the groceries. And she was like mapping it out with the money. And so we weren't... Uh, extremely well off, um, but we were probably middle of the road, I would say. And so we had money for all the things that we needed, but we weren't kind of having these extravagances all of the time. And I saw these routines being put in place. So whatever has happening to you when you're young, that stays with you and you carry it. And it's going to be your natural reaction to any kind of money situation. If there was uh, upset in the house, every time a bill came in, you're probably taking that with you even though you may have a good job and you may be uh, living within your means and you have a bank account that can afford to pay the bill. Uh, I've had a five-year-old tell me money's evil. So think of all that stuff that's going on that makes her think that, and she probably doesn't even know what money is really.
0: I mean, I was even thinking, even people who grow up wealthy, Mm -hmm. there can be a lot of strange messages around how money's used to control how you know, like there's still a lot of power dynamics. Even if there's access to funds, the means through which it's received can add a lot of programming. But just because you brought up your childhood, I know you grew up in Cole Harbour, Nova Scotia, I did. where Canadian legend Sidney <laughs> Crosby is from. I grew up in Toronto, so again, feel feel free to have whatever bias there. But I know it's <laughs> it's, it's quite different. And yeah. So do you want to speak to that at all and how that played in? Absolutely.
1: So I'm actually in the East coast right now. I've been, oh, yay. Uh, I've been spending a lot of, Smart. a lot of my winter, um, in fall river, Nova Scotia. So about half an hour away from Cole Harbor, cause it's where my family is, but growing up, it's a smaller place. It's um, easier to get around. Y- you have opportunities. You may not be able to see all of the things that you might see in a big city, but I mean, you make, fun and whatever your family and your friends are doing is really the fun thing about it. As a kid, I I learned really young that I loved money and I just, I like, I I still love money, but I I was probably six, seven years old and I wanted to go to the store every day, the green Gables corner store. Mm. And so I'd ask my mom, can I have a quarter, 50 cents once a week, I could have the money. So I wanted to go every day though. So my friend Jennifer and I, we figured out ways that we can make money outside. And so we would um, have a little yard sale. We would have lemonade stand. We had a cute little community newspaper we made and we'd go sell it. First we do reporting from our neighbors. Then we put their content in our, in our newspaper and we'd sell it. We would make up all these crazy little clubs or lessons that other kids could come to if they paid. So,
0: Ooh, course creator
1: from David. Yeah. yeah. So we just wanted like the slushies or the sour soothers or the chips. And, and so we figured out a way to do it. But what was happening in my brain, it wasn't totally rational at that point, was if you work hard and you do things to get money, you can do stuff you want. And so that stayed with me my whole life. And we had a lot of lessons um, in my family. If I wanted something more expensive, my parents would say, okay, well, you save up your half and then we'll give you the other half. Oh, I love that. So it was really to test, do I really want this thing or do I only want it because it's not my money? So it's the concept of saving. It's the, am I going to change my mind? And I remember that very first thing I wanted a tennis racket. I saved up. It took quite a while, but I got the tennis racket. They put in their half. So you see that delayed gratification that you can change your priorities if you want. All that stuff was coming when I was a kid. So very valuable and useful. And my parents were great. They helped me get into um, RRSP. So start for my retirement when I was 18 years old, my first Uh year at Queens, I was putting 25 bucks a month coming from them. Just good, good discipline practice, which I was very fortunate to have. Most people don't have
0: that in their family. And that leads nicely to the next question, which is what's sort of the biggest mistake you're seeing your clients' young money make with their money?
1: So the first first and biggest is not taking accountability for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that uh, can happen more with women than men, I find. Um, Really? Because traditionally in a marriage, the woman wouldn't necessarily be responsible for all those things. So as we have people growing up, they may not have role models that showed them how to do that. So while they may have great salaries and they're working or they have a business, but they don't know that that's part of their life too, because they haven't seen that modeled by other people. So that's a really big one. Um, Some of the other things getting into the credit card trap and it's very exciting. You're, You're either on campus or you're at a sporting event and look, just sign up for this card. You get this, whatever that free gift is. And we've got people now with credit card debt, who don't understand how credit works. So now they haven't made payments on time. Now their credit score is impacted and that creates a lot of issues. Another one I do see, particularly with women and young women, I've observed this at school and I've had listeners reach out. Young woman in love co-signs a car loan or some other kind of loan and then the relationship falls apart and the, the lender is at the woman looking for the money. How can that be? That's the question I always get. I did an episode on the show really about framing the kinds of questions you might ask yourself. For instance, is this commitment that I'm signing up for, is it longer than I've known this person? Is it longer than I've loved this person? Mm -hmm. Because those are the kinds of things you want to think about because you're going to be stuck in that kind of obligation, whether or not you're still in love. So Thinking it through. I don't like to tell people what to do most of the time on the show. I, I do in my life, I tell a bunch
0: of people <laughs> but on the show. You're I generally the coach, you're the trainer. You gotta.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like to get the thought process going so that if another situation that's a little bit different happens, people can think through, oh yeah, I should use this kind of thought process to get there. So it's either um not taking control of the situation, getting into debt you don't understand, um, which can be that that credit card stuff, or it's trying to be supportive and show your love, um, by putting your credit on the line and, and your responsibility for repayment.
0: Oh, that last, the last bit about the credit on the line. And thank you for speaking to, uh, biggest mistakes that you see women making with money. But that last one, I think I the stereotype or what I've heard more is always, oh, men spend so much money on women. You know, men, he lost all his money to this divorce. He whatever. It's interesting for me to hear the flip side of it and the lack of understanding. And I do think a lot of the stereotypes for women involve being a caretaker, being a supporter, being a nurturer. The young women I speak to are like, yeah, I'm the first person family or loved ones come from for money. I'm not necessarily the highest earner, but I'm the one they know they can come to. I love your framing of just giving tools of, okay, let's look at the timeline of the loan compared to the timeline of the Mm -hmm. relationship. Because there's nothing wrong, I think, with committing to a partner and being financially merged. But I like the idea of saying, well, wait a minute, how long? Let's, say,
1: let's just explore what happens before we do it. And then because there are, are lots of ways to be supportive that don't involve money. And so, yes. so somebody might try to guilt a person into, well, if you loved me, you would do this. Well, yes, I do love you, but I... I figured out my own budget and I don't have enough room to pay that if something should happen, just thinking it all through. And could you get them some, some help in terms of creating a budget themselves? Could they find a a cheaper car if it's for a car, what are the other options? So just so
0: people are armed with more choices and and flexibility. And if you loved me, you wouldn't put me in this position. (laughs) It's the flip side. If I I love you, I'd help. But if you love me, Oh, tricky. I think it's so interesting you touched on this. I, I, of course, in last season, we had a family lawyer on, I'm familiar with when it really goes to shit, just Mm -hmm. I don't practice family law, but a number of my former classmates and peers do. And they often talk about finances. I would say my family law lawyer friends are the most educated on it because of course money always comes into play. At, at that time, and, and not just because it's when a partnership is dissolving, but they're also seeing it the formation of a relationship if you're coming for a marriage contract, mm-hmm. which is what we call a prenup in Canada, as, you know, as I know you know. So what's something that a listener who this sort of stuff is resonating with, who's hearing the mistakes, who's like, yeah, that's me, what's something they could do today, one action or, or a few, uh, to become empowered with their wealth, and obviously getting a financial trainer named Tracy is a great step too. don't <laughs> want to diminish that, but what sort of something they could do today? First thing is knowing your numbers.
1: So exactly how much money do you make? Because most people, once they start a job, don't ever look at those pay slips ever again. So you may know what your salary is at a gross level, but how much actually makes it to your bank account and why is that? looking at all of the assets that you have. So which accounts do you have money in? What else do you have around? And then how much debt do you owe different people? And knowing the exact terms of it. If you've got a student loan, how much are the payments? What is the interest rate? When is it over? If you start to get into financial trouble, what are um, rights... within your agreement that are available to you. So really getting comfortable with everything you're involved in to make sure you know then what your choices or options are if something does happen. A lot of uh, young people, once they start working, they'll get caught up in consolidation loans can happen. And there, I have nothing against consolidation loans, but you've got the credit card debt, you got some student debt that's government sourced, some that's from a bank. Let's just just roll that into one and we'll get a lower payment. Another thing that will happen is that you pay out that government student debt and all of a sudden you lose those abilities to skip payments, maybe to defer because you had extra protection in there, but you think, oh, it's going to be neater and tidier. I'm just going to get that one loan. Read the documentation, be knowledgeable.
0: Yeah, I really needed you about seven years ago with my law school (laughs) loan. (laughs) No one sort of explained it to me. And you're exactly right. I started articling at a large firm. Um, I did the exact same thing. I said, okay, OSAP, suddenly OSAP's charging me interest. Let's just compile that into my bank loan. Bank loan, can't deal with that right now. Let's just pay the minimum. Also, the way law is structured is very strange because if you get a job at a large firm, which is quite a coveted job and a high paying Mm -hmm. job, there's actually quite a gap before you get paid because you don't start until sort of September. So you've had to roll my loan up in May. It's this whole, like, you get the summer off, go crazy. You'll have a big, (laughs) paying job. So what does that look like? At some point, it's either you're doing it on your credit card or going further in your student loan. Mm -hmm. After articling, there's a full summer off where, again, it's like, you know, you've been hired back. You know you're making great money. Go enjoy this time. And, like, that's great, but no one was really there for how to afford it. And even financial plan's the right word, how to plan for it. Like I, I know down the road I can be making good money, but what should I do right now? And I do wish I'd had better tools then. And that's why I wanted to start speaking about this to young, educated, professional women who still don't feel like they have access to it. And then the other thing I saw in law a lot was that the advisor sort of came around much later. That's why I love that you're also talking to young money is... I heard a lot of horror stories of sort of not younger professionals finally being like, I'm on track. I'm good to go. When can I retire? And I was like, you have an insane lifestyle (laughs) forever, like indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So I didn't like that model either. I was like, it can't be that I work this hard to get the big payoff to then have to work forever to afford the lifestyle I've amassed. Like none of that seemed good to me, but everything you're saying about the loans and how to deal with them, I really wish there were more resources. And I felt like when I tried to ask a lot of those questions, I got a lot of answers that were really disheartening. Oh, it's a lifestyle choice. You know, you have to choose your lifestyle or, you know, oh, it's so personal or it's it's really person to person. And I was looking around like, okay, but you're talking to a group of people graduating from law school. So actually, no, we all have probably a range of debt depending yeah. on people get help, some don't, but like, here's the upper range. And like, we're all in the same salary range and most of us are in a big city for our first job. So we're all in the same rent range. Like, can't you get more specific for us since, and, and I just felt like the advice, you know, either wasn't there or wasn't presented in a manner that was attainable.
1: Yeah, a really great thing to do, especially if you're looking for kind of that blueprint is to work with, I would say a fee only planner because they can create that financial plan after talking through your goals with you and then set out the plan for you. But how you go about accomplishing it, you're going to go away and you may do that on your own or you might find another financial planner who does investments and stuff. But at least if you sit down, they're walking you through that whole thought process of, okay, what's important to you? What are the things you want to accomplish in your life? What's the time frame you want to do that? Okay, let's see, based on your existing salary, your existing debt, how would you get there? So it, it puts everything together and to find the right person, um, it's almost like dating. You have to talk to them. You have to see if you can communicate in a way that makes you feel heard and respected and that what they're saying make sense to you because there's a lot of uh, financial people out there use fancy acronyms. They talk about things in a complicated way. That's just how they do it. And yeah. that's
0: fine for some people, but you don't need to choose them. And it makes it less accessible for mm-hmm. sure. So given the year we just had 2020 with the markets taking a bit of a dive in March, 2020, and what did that bring up uh, positive or negative, And what did you see happening with your clients during that time?
1: One of the strangest things, and I think it is kind of a Canadian thing because I haven't seen it anywhere else, but individuals and business owners alike weren't all flocking to receive the government support. So they were saying, oh, I'm not so bad off. I'm going to leave that for some other people who need it more than I do. And Mm -hmm. I kept hearing it and hearing it in May and um, April, May, June even. And I'm like, you have to stop this. (laughs) because if you actually qualify and you're eligible so canadian (laughs) so i i don't want people to go and game the system and get money they have it they don't deserve or they don't qualify legitimately for but if you meet the criteria get the money if you get the money and you don't need it save it if it is a loan and it needs to be repaid just keep it But we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long this is going on. Um, You need to build up your emergency fund because uh, we knew when we started the pandemic, uh, almost 50% of Canadians could not pay their bills if their paycheck was one week late. Like That's the situation we went into the pandemic from. Eating into your savings when the government's offering you money? No. If you're eligible... Get the money keep it don't blow it on uh whatever you might think be be responsible with it but let's build up that cushion so that as things unfold that we don't know yet we will be prepared and by the way we're all going to pay for this in our taxes so you're paying for it anyway so get your share
0: (laughs) we're very aligned i mean i feel that way about so many things even the spectrum of compensation. Like, it's so interesting that people are like, well, that's not really for me. Or like, I don't know. I don't need that RSP matching or any of it. I'm like, everything that's available to you. Oh, I
1: had that written down. an employee stock plan too. Um, yes. uh, so many people will join corporations that they oh. have it and they won't enroll. And it's free money. Always take free money.
0: Always take free money. And yes, uh, (laughs) something took me a while to get you right. It is this like Canadian, it's this like magnanimous, like selfless thing, but then it's not that selfless because then when you need help later, it's like, well, that was supposed to be the help. Mm -hmm. I, I saw it even at work. I was like, you're absolutely right. It's a fine line between gaining the system, cheating the system, people taking advantage, not condoning that ever. But I did find there were a lot of people where I'm like, wait, why haven't you signed up for this? Like, why aren't you, like, this is for you. Someone's done the calculation to make this available for you. Yeah. Now just do your part and fill out the form or signature, give them the account, like whatever you need to do. The
1: government offers the
0: money, you get the
1: money. And if you don't want to spend it, great, just save it. So if you do have to pay some back or you're going to have a tax implication, you're all set, but don't leave the money out there.
0: Yeah, I think that about saving a lot especially like emergency accounts, mm-hmm. or I like to call them cash on hand. Cause I don't love to put out the word emergency. Like I'm like a true emergency, <laughs> different thing, but yeah, unexpected expense, Or for me, it just feels good to be like I have access to cash right now if I need it, if a loved one needs it. But the flip side is that's mine that I created for me and And again, my loved ones or anyone I decide needs it, but that's not to allow an employer to say, oh, well, you've saved up. So you're okay, right? If I don't do this, Mm -hmm. like that's not for someone else to decide. That's not, well, if you have to start in another month, you're okay, right? You have savings, like, like sort of not my problem. (laughs) That's right. Like that's for me. That's none of their business. It's not
1: my business, what you spend money on. If you're my friend and you're always complaining to me that you can't pay your bills, I'll probably say something to you. But other than that, that's your life. Uh, I think if if people live within their means, they can do whatever they want, but we get caught up in social media. We start seeing all these different things in families. People will always make comments. Oh, look what they're doing. How do they afford that? They, and especially if someone is borrowed, oh, they didn't pay me back that money. now look, they're going on a vacation, Mm -hmm. but it happens all over the place. It also happens in businesses. So for anybody who's watching, who has a business, this stuff all comes up in pricing. Oh, they couldn't afford it. I shouldn't charge them that much. You don't know what their situation is. It's not your concern. Also, even if they don't have the money, you might be offering something so valuable that they want to source the money because they want it to improve themselves for whatever reason. Just stay out of other people's money stories, money situations, mind your own business.
0: I love that and oh, especially the underpricing or undervaluing thing. I'm so glad you spoke to that. I learned this lesson and I will, I'm so glad I got to be in this meeting. It was a meeting of, of people much more senior than me trying to decide a lawyer to hire of a sort of suite of very high-end lawyers. So these are people who have money to spend, but you know, my thinking going in and many people at the meetings was well, since these are all great, you'll go for the cheapest one. And almost with no more information, like here's these, I think it was four or mm-hmm. five, there was one that was significantly higher per hour than the rest. And the team at the meeting was like, I, I need we need him. We need that one. It also is such a statement of value and that person's confidence because they're thinking totally. that listen, like they
1: they're li- standing up for their value. They're gonna fight for us and do what we need. And
0: totally. And so it's true when you undervalue yourself, you might lose out because they might select someone who values themselves higher. In fact, I, I suspect they will. Yeah. Because that's just being projected.
1: So keep yourself out of other people's minds about their money. Um, mind your own business. Don't be judgmental. It's super hard. The reality is if, if you think that somebody, you don't know how someone's doing it. Cause I get this question a lot. Like my friend, Um, that I had the little businesses with when I was a kid, she says to me all the time, how are they doing it? I'm like, they're not, they're using debt. They're like, all their cars are leased. They have a big mortgage. They're going on vacation on credit. Like just because somebody looks like they're doing all this stuff doesn't mean they're, they're wealthy. They're doing a lot of stuff and they have a lot of stuff. That's what's going on. We don't know how they're funding it. And it's really none of our concern, but Mm -hmm. because I've seen behind the curtain so many times, I know that how a lot of people are doing it. So don't try to emulate other people. Focus on what's important to you and how you can accomplish it.
0: So here for it. Yeah. There's a really funny <laughs> that my friends are into a few years ago. That's like one of my favorite games to play is watching other people on social media and trying to figure out how they afford their lives.
1: Like, yeah. Uh, like outfit of the day.
0: Like who can afford to have new clothes every day? That's, that's not realistic, but people do. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And and part of the theme of this podcast is meant to be, you know, spend your money on anything. I'm so here for it. But right, if you're having an outfit of, of the day, maybe that is what brings you joy. Maybe that works for you. You are not maybe buying a condo. Like mm-hmm. there's also just a trade off. Yeah. I like mind your own, mind your own business when it comes to money, mind your own money business. Yeah. I, I talk about it on my
1: show all the time, but I yeah. love music and I love going to concerts and mm. I spend a lot of money on concerts. Like last year was so sad for me because mm. I had like 25 concerts I had tickets for. So my life dramatically changed and I got all my money back, but that's my fun and if that's where I want to spend my money, 90% of the population can think it's crazy, but it's not their business because I'm taking care of myself and my budget and everything I have to. So where I choose to spend it needs to be important to me or the person, whoever it is.
0: I would so agree with that. And I actually think money management becomes easier when you're clear on what you're saving for and what you're, what you're spending on. That Mm -hmm. you can enjoy. This is a funny thing. My aunt was saying to me last week but she has uh, two
1: young adults or young money listeners herself. So she says she does the dishes. She doesn't skip the dishes.
0: Oh, versus Mm -hmm. skip the dishes. I do the (laughs)
1: dishes. Yes, (laughs) it's lifestyle. It's choice. It's because all of that stuff, like if you're eating out a lot, just adds up, and you might not actually be conscious. So it just all comes back to knowing your numbers and making sure the money goes to the places that are important to you.
0: I also think when you know, when you come from a place where you're either know you can't afford or you're not sure, again, when I was sort of in the haze of had to be focused on work, didn't really know what's happening with my money, was like, I'm paying off the minimum amount. I have to, but that's it, like felt out of control. Then every big spend felt like, I, I don't know if I should. And it took away from the enjoyment of it. Like Absolutely. It, it feels totally different, but every so often when I want to support a local restaurant or get it, it feels very different doing that when you come from an empowered place where you're like, I have mm-hmm. the money, this is my treat. That feels really good. And
1: Feel- everybody gets to choose. So if convenience to make your life go smoother, if that's worth it, do it. Nobody really gets to tell anybody else what to do as long as another person isn't being expected to make it all better. So what do you think the future looks
0: like for women and money?
1: I think it's very bright. I think a lot of financial institutions and financial advisors and planners have really turned their attention to women. Uh, Women live longer. Uh, Women are going to be holding the resources at the end of the day if they're in in a marriage with a man. The attention has shifted and there's a lot more around empowerment and education for women at a younger age so that they can be responsible for that throughout their whole lives a great financial planner in Toronto area. And she does a lot of speaking is Jackie Porter. She was raised by a single mom and her mom passed away. Um, she's around 15, 16 years old. So she had to take care of herself. She had to learn and that's what propelled her to be an advisor. She's written a great book, uh, Single by Choice or Chance. So how women really need to take um, accountability and responsibility and and learn that piece of their life. Be a partner to that. If you are in in a relationship, if you're on your own, take accountability, but you don't have to do it alone. Find someone else who can help you and support you to learn. We start where we are. We can only move forward. We're going to make some missteps. But if we think of it as a lifelong thing that we're going to continue to improve ourselves because it helps us, sometimes people get detached from the person they're saving for, uh, which is really them. But because it's not them right now, it doesn't feel very fun. So keeping in mind your goals, that you're doing all of this for you so that you can do the things that you set out as important. It helps you have patience with yourself when you do make a mistake. And we're all going to do things. we didn't, Either we didn't pay attention, which happens a lot. So even this happened to me um, because I was super busy last year. My dog has health issues. And so I use my health insurance very regularly, but I didn't put my claims. One of my claims didn't get paid because I missed the cutoff. So I'm as fallible as anybody else. So get a system, get to know your numbers and then cut yourself some slack if you do make a mistake.
0: I really like you're doing this for you. You're saving yeah. it for you, even if it's true. In the early stage, when I then got control, my first move was like, I just want this student loan dealt with. I love the perspective of actually I'm doing it for me. If you have a lot of debt like that
1: early on, it can delay all the other milestones that come in your life. And so you feel like, what's the point of my life? I can't even get out of this debt. And now I can't get out home. Like I wanted to do more school or I can't travel or whatever it is. It really delays those things. All, all of the above. <laughs> is your dog okay? How's your yeah, dog- she has, she has epilepsy. So that was one thing. And then she also has um, autoimmune um, arthritis. We figured it out, but she sees a doctor regularly and she's, she's okay. She's a very sweet golden retriever.
0: Golden retriever. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we're,
1: A Rosie, Rosie Tiger Lily. Rosie
0: Tiger Lily.
1: Sorry, (laughs) we are a um, therapy dog volunteer team. So before COVID, we would go every Friday. We would go spend time with seniors. So it was really fun for me because I like to volunteer, but I wanted something where she could come.
0: Rosie, okay, sending positive vibes to Rosie. So, what does wealth mean to you? Uh, It
1: means having enough of the things that are important to you. And so it could be time, it could be money, it could be experiences, and that you're living within your means so that you have the the financial resources to do it. But oftentimes, especially with business owners and women in particular, they'll say, I want to have a little business. I just want to make a little bit of money. And they will say, well, okay, but why don't we make a lot of money? And then we can decide, do we want to hire people to help us? We can give money to other people. We can, we can give of our services because now we can give pro bono sometimes and help others who maybe couldn't afford to work with us. So I'm a big fan of making money so that you can choose and then you can give of your time or your money. I think that that is covers it.
0: so accurate. And I'm so happy you sort of call people on it. I've had so many similar discussions. It's like, I just want a little something. I just want a little bit of a bonus to know I'm worthy. I just want, I'm like, why don't you get the whole thing and you can decide what part you keep and what you don't need. I feel the same way, but what's with that? Sorry to jump in. What's with, what's the deal with, I feel like Seinfeld. Uh, what's with feel being like, yeah, I just need, I just need a little something, or I just want to make a little bit of money. Do you hear that a lot? Because I've heard that a lot. In all dry- the time.
1: Dry- and it's, um, oftentimes it's from mums who are raising kids as well. And so they're juggling and there's a lot of stuff going on. But when you work by yourself, you have to do all of the work. So you can't actually grow your business and you can't make as big an impact because you're the only one who can do anything. So you do need to bring on more people, even if it's part-time, even if it's contract, just to do that. And then you can free up your time to go and volunteer if you want to, or to take a nap or to go to the gym or whatever you want to do. But you actually give yourself more freedom and flexibility the more money you make. And it sounds like it would be a given, but I think years of women not seeing other women do that, years of women not asking for the raises or negotiating things or just not handling the money part of situations... Like that just feeds into the way you think about stuff. It's so unconscious.
0: It is. And I mean, that's really what this brand is about. It's just getting familiar with seeing women doing it. I think it's, you know, even though this is a podcast and I'm literally spreading words and I know you have a podcast, we both teach with words, but words don't really teach. Actions teach. Seeing it teaches. Mm -hmm. Obviously seeing you run your own business is also highly empowering, I'm sure to so many.
1: Well, and seeing um, for my students, like seeing that I was an executive at a big bank, I know what I'm talking about. They can have more confidence in that that, that can be them. How are they going to be able to do that? Where, how are they going to have to network to be able to even get those doors open to them? And, and just showing different paths to success is so important because we haven't had everything role modeled before. So let's, let's show all the options.
0: On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you love our podcast art? I'm actually obsessed with it. It was created for us by a very talented local artist right here in Toronto named Claire Fang. And due to popular request, we're making it available to you. Check out our website, loveanddividends.com to get your very own custom Love and Dividends swag. So even as the host of a financially focused podcast, I am constantly confusing these financial terms. What I did for myself was create a handy little cheat sheet to keep everything clear. And now I'm sharing it with you. I hope it will be a helpful tool as you tune in regularly to our show. I don't love the term cheat, but I love the idea of a cheat sheet. Sign up for our mailing list at loveanddividends.com to get a free copy of my beautiful Love and Dividends Cheat Sheet emailed right to you. And just on the note of role modeling, one of the things I found... Just because of two professions, electrical engineering felt like mm-hmm. three generations behind where I was like, oh, I am the only woman. And this bathroom is actually the Janner's closet that you kindly converted <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> it's a very large sink. It's actually very helpful. Great. So it was like a different time. And then I feel like when I went to corporate law, I got to jump ahead where I'm like, okay, I'm not the first woman to try this. We've done this for two generations. And I had some exceptional female role models, but I had a lot of negative. Here's one thing for I'd be curious for you to comment on from the executive level that I heard a lot that drove me nuts. It would be like you know who's actually the worst to women, other women. These women at the top are so mean. These women at the top da da da. I just feel like a lot of the women quote at the top were given these terrible reputations by chance or by choice. <laughs> uh, and so those of us sort of striving to that were like, well wait a minute, I don't see myself that way. I I see myself as still deeply feminine. Basically, I don't want to have to be the only woman doing it a man's way when I'm so in my feminine. I don't know. Did you see any of that? Can you talk to any of the really annoying and again, very sexist things like, oh, we know women are the ones who stop other women from achieving. And sometimes they do. Uh, So there's certainly some truth to that. I've
1: already, I've had tons of great uh, female and male bosses. I would say a lot of my huge sponsors were men though. Very actively promoted me and encouraged me. I think that people are judging women unfairly because if she says the same thing as a senior executive as the, the man does, if people are going to view it from a whole different lens. So make no mistake, anybody who's a senior executive has certain ways that they're accomplishing that. They've got to be quite quick at decision making, they've got to be pretty aggressive, they've got to be determined and focused. And sometimes that doesn't always show up in kindness, I think. It can, but it doesn't always. I would say if, if you're a woman and you feel that way, though, I think you want to look for cultures that support that in a better way. I'm involved with CEO, which is an organization led by Vicky Saunders, founded in Canada, but it's women investors, they call them activators, who invest in other women-led businesses. And so I have fun investing because it's not a lot of money, but I get to pick who actually gets my money. There's all these women ventures will apply and you get to vote and and you actually have a say in who gets chosen. Um, But what's phenomenal is the community of women who are the fellow activators or investors. And so it's this really great support system where everyone is focused on this. So like any large group of of anybody who's in an association or or a group, you you like some people, you don't like other people, but the sentiment is the same that we're all here to move things forward and create a new funding model where women can get access to capital. And Vicky's taken it to the US, to Australia, to New Zealand and the UK. So all these other countries are adopting this similar model. Uh, And my point with all this is if you don't like the values that are being reflected back at the organizations you're looking to work, or look for some other ones or start your own. Cause there are all kinds of cultures out there. And if you, you can't find anything anywhere, make your own and you can do it.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. Tracy, everything you're saying, thank you for bringing positive spin. So given money is all about compounding gains. And we spoke a bit about this earlier. What is your sort of, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger or I know for you, you call them Millie moves, millionaire moves. Uh, so maybe you want to talk about a few of your favorites. I love, I really like those episodes of your podcast, by the way.
1: Well, the thing I wish I had done and I'm very much like the more I think about it, the more I'm like annoyed with myself in high school and you Queens, to yourself. <laughs> I know there was uh, investment clubs. In high school and at Queens. For those who know what people who go to Queens, for there is a large part of the
0: I student. People love also talking about Queens. <laughs>
1: yeah. Awesome? So there's a a large part of the commerce uh, fellow student base comes from wealth, which is not where I came from. We were middle class family. A lot of men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was the way that it was. And so when I went there, I was intimidated, and I didn't think I was as smart as those people who went to the club, and so I didn't go, and that was just not good. Yeah. And then funny enough, when you start working with people in group projects and you see people in other classes, you see who's gone on to become partners of big firms. Like you see, you, you should have been there. So give yourself the confidence to do it. Even if it's a little bit scary, like I really wish I had. And I think that could have changed. It would have helped me make money faster. I think because I made money in a very kind of strategic year over year growth. I mean, I, I bought my first home pretty young. So I was able to capitalize on the appreciation and the value. But if I had started investing in stocks, like at the same time I did my RSP, that could have changed things earlier. And then we'd open up more freedom, more flexibility.
0: And do you think the reason you didn't join that club, do you think it was just intimidation? Like, do you Mm -hmm. have any words, any motivation for someone feeling that way right now? Who's like feeling that like, I want to do it, but who am I to be there? What would you have told your younger self? again, it comes back to mind your own
1: business. Like stop thinking so much about those people. Like who knows how they feel about themselves. I'm projecting what I think I feel about them and what I think about them, which may not be true. Mind your own business and do the things you want to do.
0: Mind your own business.
1: (laughs) It's a female thing too, because women spend more time thinking about stuff and analyzing and assessing situations and the guy would just go there so he wasn't worried about like who else was there he was there
0: sometimes it's good to have a little bit more of that attitude as well and i will give credit to role models i think if you can see one other person Mm -hmm. in the room that you can see yourself and not just female but maybe from your background or something like that while that was happening in commerce i was um convening the site don't know if you ever heard of or went to the science formal in grant hall the big engineering formal every year it's yeah. like a big construction project i was the convener i was the head of it uh you oh, know i always have to be that student and on the floor when there was full construction happening i noticed if i had just like one or two women down there a bunch more women would go because again construction is something we think of as Mm -hmm. just male, but even just like women can hammer stuff too. Yes. There's some heavy lifting. I don't want to act like, I don't want to always be like men and women are the exact same. We're not, but there's definitely things that could be happening down there that women could do just as well, sometimes better. All the injuries were always men grabbing, like (laughs) not thinking with a hammer and it'd be like, now we're at the hospital, call the insurance. But with women, there was lots, you know, they'd stick to painting until there was like one or two women doing it. So I'd always be like, "Hey, we have to put two women on the floor. I got pressure from that because it was like, well, we should just put the best people who cares. Don't be so, you know, raw, raw women. But I was like, if we just put two, then all the women who, f- who cared to do it and two who want to do it, it wasn't mm-hmm. like, it was like, if you just encourage two to do it, give them a job, make them feel safe here. Suddenly, all these other women are like, Yeah, I feel like doing that too, and just do it. So, I do think you need like a little catalyst sometimes of a role model, of mm-hmm. an invitation, and then mind your damn business. I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> what has been your silver lining of 2020, the darkest year, and flooding into 2021? Connection and making sure you're in touch with people
1: and just bringing down the busyness. Like I, I have to say though, during the pandemic, it's been really, really busy because people want to talk more and I am kind of zoomed out some days, but people are making a more active interest. And so I've been able to keep in touch with people. Maybe I'd see once a year or talk to them once a year, but it would become more frequent. I'm Downside like- is the isolation, but then you're, you're able to still talk with everybody and, and have those connections.
0: I love bring down the busyness. I've felt that too, especially in Toronto, frankly, Mm -hmm. especially just even grocery stores or things that are still open that used to be so pushy and crowded and hurry up. People are lovely. People are like, oh no, go ahead. Oh, let me get the door for you. Are you okay? Like you just feel that busyness
1: has. And I used to drive a lot between appointments or different places. So between the traffic, the construction, am I going to be late (laughs) did I do everything I needed for that meeting like now when you're home like you can do it a little bit more leisurely it's less of a frenzy
0: and now it's time for money wins money wins is a way you spent saved or invested your money that feels like a win on to our final segment, money wins. So, anything you've spent money on, saved money on, invested, to your point, it's no one's business, but sometimes we are very curious and want to want it to be our business. So, yeah, we get other
1: ideas from hearing from other people, and, and I certainly do too. So, a couple of things I, I kind of uh, alluded to before, but uh, my parents helping me start my retirement savings when I was 18 years old it was a huge one, and it was $25 a month, and I did that for a long time. But then also, when I I started my first job at TD and getting into the benefits program, people encouraging me. And there was an active um, mentor at work who encouraged me to read everything. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm young. I'm like, oh, I'll just sign up for these things. And um, they're like, no, read through everything, get signed up. And then again, that, to that point of get free money. So I got in the stock plan. I joined the pension. And I remember my dad and I had a debate about that. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to work there that long. I'm not going to go into pension, which is one thing uh, young people typically don't do because they're like, oh, who cares? Um, But he's like, no, you never know. So I did. And then like I was there 15 years, I would have missed out on some of that period if I didn't do it at the beginning. Pay attention when people are offering you things. A lot of times in a job where you have salary and benefits, the salary might be lower, but the benefits are very, very good. So make sure you understand them. Another, another thing that's part of that is I had always critical illness insurance, which a lot of people don't take. But if you get diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer, you have a heart attack, stroke, you get a check immediately when you have critical illness insurance. It's uh, uh, insurance for when you're alive to help you defray any costs or loss of income. Most of my friends, even at TD, didn't have that. So I've talked to them even, they've been listening to the podcast, they hear me talking about it. Uh, So they've got onto that. My brother had cancer at one point. He got his critical illness payout, but it was not as significant as it should have been because he just quickly ticked the box. So he had the lowest amount he could take. So just be in the details and get all of the stuff that is of value and make sure you take it.
0: How's your brother doing now, by the way? He's
1: good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I. I mean, I wrote damn critical illness pain. It meant like I don't know if I have it. <laughs>
1: like I'm gonna go. A lot of
0: people don't. Um but sure
1: it's I didn't super important. The yeah. And then um, when I was self employed, super happy when I reached the point where I could get disability insurance, because your health is your your primary way. If I don't have my health, I can't earn money. So uh, I got to make sure I I protect all of that ability to earn.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for this interview and for joining us, but I want to sign off now, uh, with love and dividends and with gratitude. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the love and dividends podcast. Please subscribe, share, and rate us with five shining stars on iTunes. It really helps us rise in visibility to reach more listeners like you to find out more. Check out our website, loveanddividends.com, our Instagram, at loveanddividends, or email me, leslie at loveanddividends.com. This episode was produced by Holly Dodson. Until next time, I'm Leslie Gray, signing off with Love and Dividends.